Today we uh, continue in our series uh, walking through Advent. I want to begin with a question this morning, and that is, do you know the story behind your name? Do you know the story behind your name? Uh, when I was born, my parents uh, were in the hospital room there, and one of the ministers from the church that they attended came uh, to pray over them and to wish them well. Uh, but by that time, my parents had not yet given me a name. And so the minister comes in the room, true story, comes in and he uh, tells, you know, my parents congratulations and he, he looks at me, uh, a baby, and he looks at my hands and he says, well, that boy has baseball hands. So maybe he'll be the next George Brett. And so, my parents liked the name, and uh, from that day forward, I was known as Brett. True story. Can't make that up. And so, aren't you thankful that he didn't look at my hands and say, man, that boy's hands looks like Daryl Strawberry, all right? You have to be going around telling people your preacher was Strawberry Walters. Uh, so thankful that I got the name Brett. Uh, but most of us know the story behind our name. Where did your name come from? What's it mean? Last week we talked about the name of Jesus, that Jesus' name, although it was common in His day, had meaning. It meant the Lord saves. So we mentioned last week that the prophet Isaiah foretold about Jesus' coming, and during this season of Advent, the church celebrates the King who has come and the King who is coming again. When Isaiah foretells of Jesus' coming, he declares these titles, these names of Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, those names that Ashton shared a few moments ago when she read our scripture this morning. Last week, the theme of Advent was hope hope in a king who has come, and ultimately hope in a king who is coming again to usher in a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. Augustine would say it this way, the first coming of Christ the Lord, God's Son and our God was in obscurity. The second will be in the sight of the whole world. When He came in obscurity, it was to be judged. When He comes openly, it will be to judge. This week, uh, we turn our attention to the theme of peace, a word that we, we hear often, even a word that we heard in the title of the prophecy of Jesus that He will be named Prince of Peace. In doing a little bit of research, I discovered that there are no less than 174 Hallmark Christmas movies. Raise your hand if you've seen them all. Now, some of you have. Okay. And one uh, source said, here's the plot for every Hallmark Christmas movie. Act one, she runs a small business, florist, bakery, restaurant in a small town America. Act two, the business is threatened by an evil corporate soulless villain, land developer. Act three, she's with the wrong guy, always on his phone, plot twist, he was part of the evil corporate takeover anyway. Act four, the right guy was there all along, and it takes her exactly 86 minutes to figure out who he is. 
Act five, finally, meddling parents get out of the way. Her and the right guy have a house covered in tinsel twinkling before the credits roll. Here's your 90 minutes. Every Hallmark Christmas movie, right? Now, some of you are saying, no, 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 that's, there's other things that happen in the Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Plot resolved in exactly 90 minutes. Thank you, Hallmark. May I have another? Uh, how many of us would like all of our problems to just be resolved in 90 minutes? Like, sign me up for that. That's what I want to experience in my own life. But if we're honest, our world is more like the great Christmas movie, Die Hard. <laughs> we live in a die hard kind of world, right? And some people who are under the age of 20 have no idea about that movie and don't go watch it um, because I recommended it, please. But have you ever stopped to consider the very first command of Christmas. The first command of Christmas in the Bible, do not be afraid. An angel says this to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. An angel also says this to Mary in Luke chapter 1. An angel says this, do not be afraid, to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. An angel says this to a group of shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Uh, this past Wednesday night, we gathered here in this room, several of us, to watch The Shepherd, uh, a, a special that was done by the series The Chosen. And it was a perspective of the Christmas story from The Shepherds. And I'm sure that seeing an angel is terrifying enough, and I believe this speaks to one of the gifts of Jesus' coming, when the angel continues to proclaim, do not be afraid, that one of the gifts of Christ's coming is a freedom from fear. Do not be afraid. Being free from fear doesn't exactly mean that fear just goes away. Being free from fear doesn't mean that you don't ever experience moments of fear in your life. But what it does mean is that fear does not own you. Fear does not control you. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor Rest. What do you need in the midst of fear? You need peace. In his new Advent devotional book, The Anticipated Christ, author Brian Zahn says this, that Christ is not just born in the beautiful places in our lives, as if we live in this idyllic bubble of a snow globe. Christ is also born in the war-torn places of our lives. Jesus was not born into a fairy tale, but into the world as it is. And so during Advent, we hold to Micah's ancient prophecy. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be our peace. Dutch watchmaker and Christian author Corrie ten Boom is known for her words. 
She says, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, I would still be lost. One of the key themes during this season of Advent is the theme of preparation. In 2017, cousins Sawyer Hemsley and Jason McGowan opened their first cookie store while attending Utah State University. It was important to the founders that their customers see in real time just how these cookies are being prepared. So now some 600 stores later nationwide, you can walk into any crumble cookies and you can see the secret sauce. You can see how the cookies are being prepared. And I'll just tell you that I sacrificed, and so that I could use this sermon illustration, I went to Crumble Cookie Friday night and partook. But I did stop to just observe the, the hundred workers they had in there preparing all of the cookies and seeing how it was all done and how it was all made. One of the questions that I've reflected on this week is, as others enter the storefront of our lives, can they see us preparing for the coming Messiah? If your life were just to be opened up to where others could come in to your storefront and just see what's, what's happening, are we preparing for the coming Messiah? The prophet Isaiah proclaimed, do not fear, God is coming. So it should be no surprise that Mark, presumably the first gospel that was written, shares these words from Isaiah chapter 40, Mark 1 and 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. So John the Baptist is proclaiming, prepare the way for the Lord, Jesus is coming. And then Mark chapter 1 verse 4, we read this, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So many had been, been looking for this sign. Many had been anticipating in John's day this sign from God, but they had not expected it to look like this. This was not what they were anticipating. Many had wanted a Messiah that was going to lead them against the Romans, but they weren't anticipating a prophet that was going to come on the scene and tell them to repent. And some just chalked it up to John being a few clowns short of a circus. I mean, this guy wore camel hair. I've got my, my camel skin coat on in honor of John the Baptist today. He, he ate locust and wild honey. He was the first to introduce this paleo diet to culture, and he is, he is just a crazy kind of guy, I mean, a wild kind of guy, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. Yet everything that he did, catch this, everything that he did was dedicated to his deeply felt calling to prepare the way of the Lord. Everything he did, prepare the way of the Lord. 
Verse 7, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Jesus is then baptized before going into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And then in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Every year at Passover time, the people of Israel recited the story of the exodus from Egypt, telling over and over and over again, God rescues Israel from the Pharaoh, bringing them through the Red Sea, across the wilderness to their promised land. John's hearers in this context would have known that story really, really well. And just like the Exodus story, the people would, would come through the water, the waters of baptism. They would, they would leave behind their Egypt. They would leave behind the world of sin which they were enslaved to. And what John did with water, the coming one would do with the Spirit, God's Spirit. It would live within people. We did a several-week series on the Holy Spirit earlier this year. Just walking us through the reminder that God's Spirit would be in people, becoming the air that they breathe. Theopneustos, God breathe. It's where we get that dreaded word pneumonia, because we have a problem with our lungs. Some of you have lived that reality, that pneuma, that, that, that pneumonia, that, that air, that pneumatic tires that, that God breathed this word into existence, the fire in their hearts. And this is the promise they had lived on. And John says, it's now going to come true, but are they ready for it? Are they ready for it? He's trying to prepare the way. So in a few chapters later in Mark 6, Herod has John arrested because John is is proclaiming this message of repentance and and Herod had, had married his brother's wife, Herodias, And John is saying, hey, you you shouldn't be with your brother's wife. And as you can imagine, Herodias didn't take well to this. She was a person in power. And she didn't like being called out and John calling Herod and Herodias out. And so so she wanted John to be dead. Sounds like some kind of episode of of Desperate Housewives or something. It's like just this this drama that's, that's unfolding. She wanted him dead. So some of you heard the story before. On Herod's birthday, Herodias' daughter, Salome, dances for Herod. And Herod says, I'll give you anything you want. Just ask me anything you want. Up to, up to half my kingdom is yours. So she goes and she consults with her mom. Hey, what do you think I should ask Herod for? You know, like, Cadillac chariot? What, what do you think I should ask Herod for? You know, should, should, should I ask for, you know, a, a vacation home by the Sea of Galilee? What, what should I ask Herod for? And, and no, 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 no. You ask him for the head of John the Baptist. And so she goes back to Herod and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And to much to, to Herod's chagrin, that this is what he does. He immediately has John the Baptist beheaded, and then the head was presented to Salome, who gave it to her mother. John the Baptist's message of repentance cost him his life. 
Yet right before he's killed, we read of this question that, that's posed in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now some say in this moment that John the Baptist was doubting. Others say, well, that there were many that were posing as Messiah in that day. And so John was just making sure that Jesus wasn't some imposter. And so here's the question that I want us to just sit with for a moment. What do I do? What do you do when life doesn't make sense? When fear creeps in, when when life just doesn't seem to be going the way that we thought it would go. And isn't it curious that John's dad, Zechariah, actually had doubt. He was one that, as you remember back in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel said that your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son and he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And what was Zechariah's response? His response was, how can I be sure? This doesn't make sense. And the angel says, okay, now you will be silent until John is born because you did not believe. What do you do when life doesn't make sense? What do you do when your financial situation has taken a turn for the worst? What do you do when you can't make sense of a certain diagnosis? What do you do when you can't make sense of holiday plans that get turned upside down? What do you do when you can't make sense of the fact that you're tired and you're weary and you're stressed out? Uh, how did life end up this way? And John had heard about what Jesus was do doing, and it didn't sound at all like the script that they had planned out. It didn't sound like the the plan that they that he thought they would have in place, that, that Jesus would come in and he would he would take over the throne of Herod, and then he would get John out of prison, and, and, and they, would, they would be able to serve together in this capacity. Like, it's not going the way that John anticipated that things would go. No doubt, John looked forward to the day when Jesus would rise up on the throne. Verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see, what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus goes on in verse 11 to say this, truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is offering a new way of understanding God's timetable. He's telling his hearers of Israel's long history from Abraham to Moses through the prophets to the present moment that this was one long preparation, one long getting ready time. And this was good news. 
John was indeed among the preparers, the greatest. But even the most insignificant person who repented and accepted God's kingdom, hearing Jesus and following him, was greater than John because the time of fulfillment was at hand. That peace is a person. Emmanuel, God with us. So how can we prepare? How can we be a people in this season that are practicing the art of preparation? I want to just give us a a few ways that we can do that even this week. And, And the first one is one that I've been trying to practice all week already leading up to today's message, and that is that we look for the light. I'm so thankful for uh, Margaret Reichert and Pam Holiday and Kim Tiselko and some of our staff who put up these Christmas trees this week and put up the decorations. Uh, there's just something about seeing, you know, a, a tree that is alive, that the dark branches in the dead of winter, we bring these into our home, we bring these into the, the church house. And in the middle of darkness, in the middle of of the the dead of winter, we see life. We see light. We see this this message of hope in the light that we we see. Uh, I've shared with you before one of the practices that we have at at the dinner table this time of year every night is that we have three candles. They're the LED remote control candles. Um, and, and we just, one of the kids every night will, will light each one and we'll repeat three words for the three candles. Christ is light. And it's just a remind, it's a simple reminder to us, you know, before we, we eat our meal, before we dive into other kinds of conversation to, to remember where the light comes from. Uh, I was down at a few places this week, went down to, to Walmart um, and, and was just walking around, you know, getting some, some different shopping things done. And over the loudspeaker, I mean, just one of the most secular places that you can go is Walmart. Over the loudspeaker, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Walmart proclaiming the night of our dear Savior's birth. Where, what other time of year are you going to see that? I was down here at the, the Mexican restaurant just right down the street. You know, the place that a lot of y'all go to second service at, right, right down there. Sitting there enjoying my cheese dip, and they start, you know. And usually, it's you know, it's the, it's the the festive you know music that's in the Mexican restaurants. But no, 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 no. This time of year, it was, what child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping. I'm eating my cheese dip and starting to cry because I'm reminded of Jesus. Man, it is is just the most bizarre thing. And I went up to the restaurant owner and I just said, I said, thank you for playing music about our Lord and Savior. 
Because I'm, sure I'm sure they get other comments about that. And I was encouraged. I was sitting with my son in a Mexican restaurant hearing the Savior's birth proclaimed. Look for the light. Second thing that I want to remind us of is to turn from that which is extinguishing the light. So the reality is that the prophecies of Jesus' coming are still unfolding because we are still learning to follow our peaceful shepherd. It's easy to be a peace lover. It's harder to be a peacemaker. But Jesus says, this is the blessing. This is where the blessing, blessed are those who are the peacemakers. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to ask to forgive you? Are there things that you are looking at on your phone that are not from God? that are extinguishing the light? Is there bitterness in your heart towards someone that you need to surrender? Are there substances that are controlling your life that you need to surrender? Has your anger hurt those who are closest to you? Are you so distracted by life that you've neglected time in the Word? Have you isolated yourself from the body of Christ out of fear or because you didn't get your way? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance just means turning from that which is extinguishing the light. It's a, it's a turn. It's a complete change of direction. And number three is that we ask the Prince of Peace for guidance. Philippians 4 and 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the what? And the what? And the peace of God will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, hear me on this. Your money cannot guard your heart. Your security cannot guard your heart. Your plans, your 401k cannot guard your heart. All your preparation, all your stuff, your home, your car, it cannot guard your heart. Your success cannot guard your heart. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can guard your heart and mind in a way that is life-producing. Here's three prayers that I've committed to this week. I want to encourage you to set your alarm three times a day. I'm not going to tell you what times, but just three times a day. Sometime in the morning, if you're a real early morning kind of person, take a picture of this on the screen, and here's three prayers I want to join, ask you to join me in this week. 
Prayer number one, in the morning, Father, I pray that I would enter this day as your son entered the world full of love and hope. And how many of you know that if you pray that prayer, by lunchtime, you're going to have to pray again? Amen? Something's going to happen between morning time and lunchtime that you're going to have to pray again. So here's, here's your midday prayer. Jesus, I pray that I would be present in my work as you were present in this world, full of humility and service. Now, what if you just got down on your knees in your workplace and, and, play, and prayed that in midday? And how many of you know that if you pray that prayer midday, by that evening, you're going to have to pray again? Something's going to happen between midday and the time you go to bed. And so, your evening prayer, Holy Spirit, I pray that I would be at peace in my rest, knowing that you came to bring peace to the world and will one day bring rest to all things. Amen. As we prepare for communion, I'm reminded that a, a lot can get in the way of a relationship. I love my wife more than any earthly relationship I have, but if we're honest, there's, there's times where we look up and it's been weeks since we've been on a date, just the two of us. Work, kids, school, all the demands of life. We haven't spent time investing in our relationship. Maybe for some this morning it's been too long since you've just sat with God, the God who loves you. So at the Last Supper, the night that he would be betrayed, Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. As we eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Will you pray with me, and then we will take the bread together. Our Father and our God, as we pause in this moment to be reminded of the love that was shown to us, not just in your coming, but in your giving the giving of the life of your son who got up on a cross because of our sin. And Father, we take a moment right now just to repent. Father, what, what a great gift that you have given us, the gift of repentance. And we take just a few seconds of silence to lay at your feet those things in our lives that have been extinguishing your light. Father, we lift those up before you right now. So, Father, we are thankful for this bread, which represents the body of Christ given for us, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, 
who John would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we receive this in the spirit in which it is given, a spirit of thanks. And we remember the life of your Son given for us. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The body of Christ given for you. Let's pray for the cup. Father, in like manner, we're, we're thankful for the blood of your Son, the blood that was given so freely for us, the blood that frees us. Father, that we do not have to, to live in fear because we have been redeemed, we've been re rescued, that we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we're so thankful for that. And Father, we rejoice in the hope that we have that Jesus is coming back, that he's not left us here just to our own senses and our own devices, but that he has promised us, that you have promised us through your word, that one day in the new heavens and the new earth, everything will be made new. And so, Father, as we drink the cup this morning, we're reminded of the blood of Christ that was given for us, and we drink it in rejoicing that he will return one day. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the praise team if they'll be making their way up. I do want to encourage you to be with us uh, next week during our Christmas service. It's going to be a great day. Uh, we don't ever want to leave this place without giving you an opportunity to, uh, to just share a moment with one of our shepherds, uh, to, to share a time of, of prayer. Uh, maybe today's the day that you want to name Jesus as Lord, be baptized into Him. Uh, we would love to celebrate that with you as well. Um, but just as we sing this song, maybe this is a time where you're, you sing. Maybe this is a time where you're just allowing the words to be sung over you. Uh, to do some business with God, just right even where you're at. Please know that we desire to support you in any way we can. There'll be a shepherd down front. There'll be a shepherd and his spouse back here in this room in our chapel. If you have a need, please go see one of them this morning. Let's stand and sing. <laughs> 